0: This is chapter 5. It, it took me a while because I didn't like the ending, so I've had to rewrite fragments of this and it's it's definitely this reading it for no other advantage it's good for editing because reading it aloud when I imagine that someone will listen means that it I'm much it's much easier to see the problems. And I'm much more critical. I mean, I, I'm, I think there's a lot more problems still, um, and, and one of the problems is I've 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 been through this so many times now that it's not interesting to me. I just hope, I really hope that it's interesting to somebody. Um, uh, it's it would be good to get um, some feedback if that's possible. But here you go. I almost forgot. I I have other writing, and I think I'm going to uh, rename all the sec- these chapters so that I can start reading um, the beginning of another thing, or more than one other thing that I've written. Um, because it's it's I I would like to I would like to have all all of the things that I've or most of the things that I've written ready for. Um, some time when I'm brave enough to submit them to be published, even just even submitting them and getting a a, re, a rejection letter would be a an amazing thing, I think. Anyway, now it'll start. Chapter five. Acting on the decision about the school, I felt compelled now that I'd made a decision to try to avoid even the small, inconsequential habits of what I'd already thought was my former life. I wanted to keep walking along the beach and put off returning to the suburban streets or to my flat. I felt that this was a way of reaffirming the change i had decided upon. There was a concrete path midway up the beach that went all the way to South Melbourne. I reached it, turned left and walked towards St Kilda. I hadn't really planned a destination, but subconsciously I was heading towards St Kilda Pier. The lights of the city of Melbourne stood out in the distance, looking like some kind of science fiction skyline, clean and clear and beautiful. As I walked along the footpath I did notice, quite unusually, a good number of the people walking in the opposite direction acknowledged me as I walked up to them. Ordinarily when I was walking it was as if I were invisible. I moved about the world like a ghost. Tonight. Something in my look, in my look must have differed from the usual. Perhaps there was a smile on my face. Perhaps I was looking up instead of at the ground in front of me. Perhaps I had found a new confidence. I was buoyed up by these reactions. In a few minutes, I reached the pier, and I turned and began to walk along it. I soon reached the further farther end. There was a restaurant here built after the original building. A kiosk had burnt down a few years ago. The restaurant was reasonably full. Ordinarily, I would glance in at the people eating in a place like this, wishing I would be able to go in and be treated as the kind of person such a place would serve. Tonight, I barely gave the place a look. I walked all the way around the building and positioned myself, leaning over the rail with my back to the glass and the guests, and I looked out to see. I felt strangely calm. There was no great upheaval in my thinking. The same set of worries were all there, sitting in the background, but along with that there was, deep inside, the knowledge that this was a firm decision. I had begun to feel just the smallest glimmer of elation, kept well unchecked by my inner reserve. Perhaps standing here, out over the water, was a kind of figurative first step away from Australia. It might not have seemed like much to some people, but for me, standing here at the end of the pier with my back to a country I'd never left, it was like making a promise to myself. Over the next few months I needed often to recall this promise and this moment. Perhaps it was an hour later and a little after ten that I climbed the stairs to my flat. I felt washed out and tired. and In the familiar drabness of my lounge room it was easy to summon all the difficulties and hurdles I needed to surmount before arriving at the school. It struck me as important that there was something I should do right now to keep myself on this new path. I sat down in front of a computer and in my only concession to planning, I checked what the time was in Paris. Serendipitously, it was shortly after 11am, then I searched for the website for the school and once I had a phone number, I dialed before I could think of many reasons not to. I disliked phone conversations, being bad enough with conversations face to face, but this situation was completely outside my area of comfort. As the phone on the other end rang. Thoughts tinged with worry crossed my mind. What if the school was an elaborate scam? How could I tell? And perhaps worse, what if I spoke to whomever whomever answered on the phone and they rejected me, perhaps because I was too old or not cool enough? It, It would be the unwritten entrance criteria that I would have failed to meet. I would be nothing. The ringing stopped and a woman answered, speaking in French. I was immediately flustered and could only manage a repeated hello until she switched to English. Hello, this is, and at this point I, I have not named the school. This is the music school. My name, is, my name is Sylvia, how may I help you? Hi, I'm thinking about attending the school there and I wanted to know a bit more about it. Would you tell me your name? Oh, sorry, my name is Jim. Well, Jim, as you will know, this is a private music school based here in Paris. We take students from all around the world and provide live-in accommodation for many of them. The school has a particular bias toward performance and editing, and it is a very difficult course. Our teachers are mostly not academics, but are mostly established performers and songwriters. We have no entrance criteria. Instead, we trust that only those people with the passion to succeed will. We're really all about providing the guidance, the pressure, and the environment to enable our students to get far beyond where they thought they could get to. But I I suppose you've read some of this on the website. Yes, I have, but the website is impersonal. I'm wondering about the difficulty of the place, and I couldn't find any success stories or lists of ex-alumni or anything like that. Trust me, we get amazing results a lot of the time. We don't promise that we can make you famous, but we can promise that if you can cope with the pressure that you'll be able to make music once you graduate, you'll be able to make music others would like to hear. We have very good teachers and proven results. Of course, it is a risk as is any course at this level, I suppose. That is, if you haven't, you aren't, if that is, if you aren't able to cope, then everything will stop for you, and you'll have to leave, but we try everything we can to prevent a situation like that. Also, if you feel you're shy or reticent, then you'll just have to get over that. We help with that too, but our methods are confronting. We obviously need to have our students do well so that our reputation remains secure, so we have exams and strict criteria for progression through the courses. But tell me, why would you like to come to our school here? Well, I've always wanted to learn guitar and to sing and and then to perform. But there's something else, too. I've always had this desire to take serious music lessons. But I've never acted on it. But now, given where my life is, I feel that it's time, finally, to do this. Before the chance slips away. It feels like the right thing to do for me. I see, this makes some sense to me, and you aren't the first to tell me this, but I do wonder why this school, and not a local one, an Australian one, I suppose, judging by our accent. Yeah, yes, I am calling from Australia, and I guess I could find somewhere good and local, but I, I like the idea of Paris. Obvious romantic ideal, living in the city, just being in Paris. And I, I have to admit that Given my situation, I feel like I need to make some kind of a drastic change in my life. I feel stronger that I need to do the crazy thing, and your school is different anyway. I don't think there's another that works the way yours does. And this way of learning appeals to me. I only want the music, nothing else. And from a personal standpoint, I've reached the stage now where I can't think any longer of why not. I feel this could be something amazing in my life. This probably makes no sense. I trailed off for lack of words. Well, that's not true. I I think I see your point, and I'm not here to try to convince you either way. How how did you hear about us? I overheard some people talking about the school, and I looked you up. Okay, what I'll do at the end of this conversation is to give you a tour. If you can do a video chat, that is. I I can show you the place. That would be good. I did wonder... How I've never heard of the school before. I worried it wasn't real. Well, we're well known within certain circles, mainly among music people. We've never needed to advertise. The word seems to just go out there. People talk or chat on social media. That always that's always been enough. As in your case, for example. Would you tell me what your background is? I'm a computer programmer of I have been for almost my entire career until recently. At this point I have effectively retired from work altogether. Perhaps it sounds really odd when I admit that I am not connected in any way to anything relating to music apart from listening to it. No, you are not unique in this regard, but I imagine that you might experience some culture shock in moving here and in attending the school. That's probably a good thing. It will shake you right out of your comfort zone. And you probably won't be back in that place of comfort for some time or ever but does it does this worry you? Yes and no, I mean, yes, because this is a big deal for me, a big change, but now, because I've kind of reached a place where I think that i it shouldn't matter about my comfort zone, especially if staying in it means I don't progress or live really. Yes I agree. What kinds of music do you like rock, heavy metal? I I meant to ask about that. Are there any limitation on the styles of music? Oh no, we we don't concentrate on any particular style. We have teachers from many different backgrounds. That is one of the reasons we are so expensive. Tell me, have 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 you always had the idea of being a musician? Yes, on and off. For long periods, I forgot about it. But then every now and then, I hear a song. Or see someone singing or playing, and I remember, and then I dream about it for a while and don't do anything about it. Except that some years ago I took singing lessons. Were you you any good? Well, the the teacher used to say that I was confident and not confident at the same time. She meant that on the one hand I thought I could sing, and she said I was correct. But on the other I didn't really seriously believe that I could. This upset her. She once told me that some people come in and they've practiced singing along with their favorite artists but are, are not not good. They can't sing in tune and they're not aware of it. I'm able to hear if I'm singing the right notes mostly. That's something I suppose. Do you feel passionate about music? All I can say is that when I think about performing I feel as if I'm truly awake, As if I'm meant to do it. I've no idea how it would really feel and I'm very shy, so the idea of performing is hugely confronting. So much so much, so that I, I can't imagine ever doing it. But I still want to pursue this path. My singing teacher is the only person who, who's ever heard me. What, what I hope is that, given the desire to, to make sure my money isn't wasted and the location of the school, that these will conspire to push me to try as hard as I can. Hopefully this is enough. Well, well, I hope that you do find passion while you're here, if you decide to enroll, that is. I must reiterate that this is a difficult place and people drop out a lot, so we always advise people to be very sure before they enroll. The decision is up to you now. Are you ready to do the video chat so I can show you around? Yes, thanks. In In a minute or so, I was looking at Sylvia. I found her to be a pleasant looking woman around my age. She smiled at me and waved, and then swapped to the front phone camera and I could see what it took to be the main office. After panning around quickly she held the phone up at about shoulder height and walked out of the office and into a hallway. I noted that the building had an old fashioned look and a strange quality. It seemed to me that the architecture was slightly off when compared to any Australian building I had been in, but it was hard to say why. Perhaps I was inventing this feeling just because of my expectations about Paris being so different to anything I'd experienced. As Sylvia walked down the corridor, I noted many green, felt-covered doors. When I asked about them, she told me that these were practice rooms. Red lights located at the top of each of these doors indicated whether or not the rooms were occupied. Upon finding an unoccupied room, Sylvia pulled open the door and showed me inside. And in this room were the first clear signs that were convincing to my unschooled eyes that this was a place where music could be made. There was a rack of electri- electronic equipment up against the wall. Various microphone and guitar stands, all scattered about as if the musicians had just left the room. In the corners of the room were speakers looked what looked like metal pillars. A number of guitar speakers were placed roughly in the centre of the room, and a couple of well-used... Leather loungers were placed on the wall opposite the speakers. Sylvia remained here a minute or two, panning the camera around. Then she walked out, turned left and continued down the corridor for some distance until we came up to a larger double set of green felt doors. She pushed through them into a much larger room. Here there was a stage area and a large curved array of seating. There was a definite feel of a university lecture room about it. This room is where you will assemble on the first day, all the students together. This is our main auditorium," she said. Now let me take you outside. Sylvia retraced her route back to the office and then through a short corridor and some heavy looking white doors out, out onto the street. She now pointed the camera back and showed me the building. It was three stories and definitely of an older style, all white with dark brick surrounds on the windows. Then she took me back inside and down the corridor again, past her office. We came to a plane door, and she unlocked it and went inside. This is one of the rooms where you'd live if you decided to board with us. It's not luxurious, but then you wouldn't be spending much time in your room. Would you like to see anything else? I shook my head. I hadn't anything to say as the reality of the place was scaring me. Sylvia left the room, relocked the door and walked back to her office, and then she turned on the front camera of her phone so we could see each other again. Okay, what, what we need from you now is, if you decide to enroll, is that you go to the website and start to do the, the enrollment process. Payment for the first semester is required at this time, and the best way is to do a bank transfer into the account specified. If you're okay with it, I will reserve a place for you now. No obligation, but your decision needs to be made within the next week. I'll text you the student ID number so you can use it in the enrolment. Is is this all okay? I indicated that it was. Well, Jim, it was wonderful to talk to you and I hope to see you again soon in person. I thanked her and then I hung up. And then a few seconds afterwards, a huge wave of doubt washed over me. I wasn't able to grasp the reality of what I'd just done. This school was a place for future stars, crazy dedicated kids who'd go on to be famous and who were all probably rich to begin with. I couldn't imagine myself being in that place. I sat down and tried to find some calm and in a few minutes I felt I broke back out of whatever it was that had trapped me. Truthfully, I only needed to look around at my flat at the dusty surfaces, the shelves of DVDs, and the small signs of neglect and disarray to know that even the worst outcome, a failure in that school, in that city, was still preferable to the pointlessness, loneliness, and emptiness of my current life. After that, I went to bed, but I couldn't fall asleep for a long time. I woke the next morning feeling changed and even happy. But this lasted only until I remembered my decision of the night before. Once I did, the ridiculousness of my plan again began to undermine my resolve. I also began to doubt the reality and the truth of the phone conversation I'd had, thinking that even with that, what I'd heard and seen, the whole thing could still be unreal. After all, it was a lot of money. It seemed like a very clever ruse to earn a lot of money. And then the thought arose that I would have to completely shut down my life as it was here, and the effort to organize everything in order to uplift my life seemed all too heavy, apart from the fear of entering a kind of limbo where I would have no permanent place to live. I lay there transfixed by these thoughts, turning in my bed and hoping that I could go back to sleep, but there was no hope of that. A shame rose up in me at the way my thoughts seemed to betray me. I thought again of about what a waste it would be if I allowed my life to continue how it was, how much time I was wasting. I felt that all I had that was real was the desire to perform and the willingness to accept all the events along the way to success or even failure as part of a more fulfilling, worthwhile life. So I got myself up and out of bed. I decided that I should do the enrolment and pay the money before doing anything else. This would then be the turning point. Once done, my direction would be shifted. My decision would be reflected in real action, and it would also be very expensive to back out of. I sat down in front of the computer, logged on and navigated to the school website, and then to the enrollment form. Slowly and carefully unrolled in the school, picking the option for living in accommodation and indicating I would pay the fees by bank transfer as soon as I got to the bank. The amount frightened me, but I continued. Once the confirmation mail came back at the end I stood up, in three months school would start. I just had to transfer the money and I would be enrolled, I would in fact be a music student. I tried to eat breakfast and manage with difficulty, but the thought of the obligation of making the transfer of this much money filled me with a fearful anticipation. I just wanted to have it done, I wanted to have no more reasons to le- left to change my mind. There were hours more until I could get to a bank. I wrote the details down and then in an attempt to calm myself I got a pen and paper and began to make a list of the jobs I would need to do, a sequence of actions that would get myself to Paris by February next year. The most worrisome task was what to do with my positions. If all went well I wouldn't be back for years at least or I might be gone for only a couple of months. I didn't want to contemplate failure or to provide an excuse, so I walked around the flat looking at the stuff I'd accumulated over the years, thinking about what I should do with it all. There were DVDs of course, and books, electronics, magazines and computers, things I had made and and mementos, items that were mostly unused and sitting in here just for the reassurance of having them around. The books, some of which I'd never read, but arranged in a particular way like like a piece of art all the things I'd accumulated, perhaps to replace the people who I should have had around me, or any kind of passion. So I'd miss this, but did I I need any of it? Should I discard as much as I could do without? Could I do without most of it? I thought of the money some of the stuff had cost and the waste if I just threw it all away. Storage was an option, but I felt the possibility that the weight of the stuff would hold me back. I imagined sitting in school in Paris knowing that I had my old life stored back here, ready to be restarted. I looked at prices of storage and sat with my head in my hands, imagining what it would be like to shed everything except what I could carry onto the plane with me. My entire life reduced to two pieces of luggage. I felt a profound sadness, but I mistrusted it. What did I really need here? Videos I'd watch tens of times, books I'd read, books I would never read, hardware that I would be saving because it was unusual, or because it was once expensive, or maybe one day I'd take parts of it and use it to make some other thing, knowing that it was likely I'd never get round to it. I tossed the problem round in my mind, trying to think about it dispassionately, and in the end I found a small box and placed it in the middle of the room, and then I kept. then I went through everything, looking only for those things I felt should be kept and would fit in that box. In the end the only items in the box were the Kindle, laptop, phone, headphones and appropriate chargers. Now I had to begin the task of getting rid of the items I would not keep. I started by piling as much of it as I could around near the door of the flat. Once this was done I rested for a while by sitting down in front of my computer again and filling out an online passport application. I used my phone camera to take a headshot and arranged a date to get go to the passport office. All the time I was doing this the thought of the impending visit to the bank had rested in the back of my mind, and now it was time. The bank would be open when I reached it, if I started walking now. I checked and rechecked the note where I would written the details I needed for the money transfer, and I made sure the browser on my phone was displaying the webpage with some the same information. I needlessly rechecked my account balance and agonised again over spending the money. But I couldn't put this off, there was nothing else to do or check and I'd already made the decision. I walked out of the flat. When I reached street level and began to head towards the bank, my resolve strengthened for a while and I realised that I felt more awake than I had in many years. I was noticing unfamiliar sights in places that I had seen many times. The world seemed new. I noticed the street smells acutely, and the cool breeze felt refreshing, rather than cold. But when I reached the main road that led up towards St Kilda, my mind produced the ugly thought that what I was doing was a horrible mistake, and that I was throwing away money I had suffered and worked for. I tried to distract myself by thinking about the plans I had made to discard my positions, but this ploy only partially succeeded. I had the strong urge to just turn around and go back home but I forced myself to keep on walking. I wished I'd taken a tram so that I would be delivered to the bank without the possibility of turning around. I wondered if my torturous thoughts showed on my face, but none of the people that walked past me seemed to react to me in any way that would suggest that. St Kilda was a little quiet at this time of the morning, being in the lull after the breakfast crowd and just before the mid-morning coffee trips or perhaps the start of brunch. I walked quickly through the back streets I reached the last set of traffic lights and waited there until they changed, then crossed quickly and headed up the slight incline towards St Kilda Road. A few minutes later I approached the bank and as I neared the automatic doors, the push to turn back grew to an almost uncontrollable level. I forced myself to move forward, the doors slid open and I entered and walked through the bank to the end of the small queue. I tried to calm myself as I stood there. Nervous beads of sweat dripping down my face, but I endured the self-torture. Then, more quickly than I expected, I was at the head of the queue, and it was my turn next. The customer in front of me walked out past me, and I approached the counter. I explained what I needed, needed, and we began the process of getting the money transfer. But when it came time to tell her the name of the recipient, I hesitated. I found that I didn't want her to know about the music school. I felt certain that she would think what I was doing was silly or perhaps even strange. A middle-aged man attending such a school. It was weird. I expected her to look up at me and not quite hide a suspicious sneer. Instead, surprisingly, almost shockingly, the teller seemed to take a serious interest in me. You're going to this music school in France. I hesitated for a few moments in my confusion over this response. I never planned to tell anyone about this thing I was doing. I looked up at her and saw only that she seemed interested. I surprised myself by feeling proud. I wanted to tell her. Yes, that's right. I've enrolled in this music school. It's, It's in Paris and this money is for the first installment of fees. I think it sounds amazing to attend a school overseas. It'd be a great way to see another country. I wish I could do it. I guess it could be, but from what I've learned about where I'm going, The course is a lot of work. They warned me that there won't be much opportunity for sightseeing. There were no other customers behind me and I suspected the teller had been having a slow day. And for once, I was enjoying speaking to a stranger. Talking seriously seriously about my plans like this seemed to solidify the situation more than any of my previous actions. The teller processed the payment while we were speaking and almost like magic, my money was gone. And I held the receipt for the transfer in my hand. I'm sure, there will be some chance to see the sights. Of course, I hope so, but my main reason for going is the music. What sort of music do they teach there? Apparently, most kinds, but I am interested in modern music. Rock music, if that actually is modern these days. I laughed. Such a strange occurrence, and in conversation with a stranger. I want to learn to sing and play guitar, I admitted. My face felt warm as I said this. I felt silly and proud at the same time. The school concentrates on teaching the students to perform. I think that there's a lot of modern rock music. Would you like to learn to write songs? Well, I'm not sure about songwriting. I think I might like to. I haven't thought about that part of it much. The main thing I always wanted was to be able to play stuff that I love. I just haven't done much about it before with this except for taking some singing lessons ages ago. I hope you don't mind me asking, but I'm thinking this is a big change for you. I guess it's obvious. I don't, I don't mind you asking. It It still does seem a little crazy. I can hardly believe I made the decision, but exciting. Yes, it is, but I'll be much happier when I walk through the front door of the school, or even when I'm getting off off on the plane. How long before you leave? I have to be in Paris at the beginning of February, and I'm leaving in a couple of months. I haven't booked the tickets yet. I was hoping to see something in Paris in the few days before I need to turn up at the school, before they lock me up in there. She laughed at this, and I felt myself smiling, but then I heard the sound of the automatic doors opening. Another customer was entering. I looked up at the teller and moved a little way from the counter. "Well, Well, good luck, she said, and she was still smiling, and I looked and looked straight at me. I'm sure you will do well. I said goodbye and thanked her, and as I turned away I thought a, I thought a look of disappointment crossed over her face. Perhaps it was my imagination or just wishful thinking, but I had the impression that there might be a little more here than idle conversation. But my confidence and my experience were insufficient to properly interpret the situation and know if there was anything that I would be good to do. My walk home was strange. even Even with the excitement, I was confused and conflicted. At times I felt as if I might be in shock. When I walked into my flat the place already felt as if I had abandoned it. Box of The boxes of items ready for disposal, items that I had once treasured looked like rubbish. And I felt that I had become too large to fit in such a small place. That night I again slept badly, lying awake for many hours and finally drifting off after midnight. The subsequent weeks passed quickly and tonight I was spending the last few hours that I would be in this place. The flat was empty now apart from cleaning equipment. All my possessions were gone and now the place was completely anonymous again. The time since I had enrolled had been filled with a myriad of chores but now all that was left was this final clean. After I finished I would head back to the hotel I'd been staying in after the, over the past few days. In the morning I would meet the property manager for my final inspection. The only thing of any real difficulty had been my passport, there had been frustrating delays and many useless phone calls until I finally paid to have the process sped up. It took until almost midnight before I was satisfied with the cleaning, but after doing a final check I called it done. Anything that remained in the flat I carried out with me and threw into the dumpster and then I returned to my hotel room and slept. My flight to France was leaving in the late afternoon. It was about 10am and I was waiting for a taxi. I stood on the pavement outside my former home. I had just returned the inspection and returned the keys moments ago. Everything I owned was distributed between one large suitcase and in my backpack. I was now of no fixed abode, but surprisingly, instead of fear, I felt liberated. I felt that my life had been reduced to almost its essence now, all the mess had gone and it was as if that clutter had been removed from my mind along with the physical objects that I had thrown away. A text message arrived indicating that the taxi was now moments away. I looked back at the ugly building. There was a moment of nostalgia as I realised I would not be back here, no matter what happened, not even if I only lasted a semester at the school. I wasn't living like that again. I, I took in the street scene in front of me one last time. Then a familiar yellow Ford taxi pulled up. I nodded to the driver, but my luggage put my luggage under the boot and got into the front seat. I didn't feel like talking once I directed the driver, and he didn't seem to want to talk either. The traffic was fairly light as we drove through St Kilda, but once we got onto St Kilda Road, it became busier. The familiar but indescribable smell of a well-used taxi made me a little nauseous, and I half lowered the window. I wanted to look at Melbourne City, but our route was taking us around the outskirts along the freeways. As we approached the on-ramp to the airport freeway, I almost asked the driver to take us on an indirect route through the city streets, but I hesitated too long. In any case, I felt I should leave behind the nostalgia, so I pushed that thought aside. We merged onto the freeway into freeway into light traffic. My excitement grew as we passed through the relatively unfamiliar western suburbs. This side of Melbourne was very different in character to what I was used to. It was more industrial and sometimes much older. The traffic on the ring road was huge, and it took longer than I expected to arrive at Tullamarine. The entrances to the departure terminals involved driving up onto a ramp that led to the mini second level entrances. On the right was the multi story car parking garage, on the left, the short term parking. The taxi driver effortlessly no- negotiated the dangerous chaos of vehicles that milled around us, moving abruptly into the first available spot. I paid the driver, got out of the cab, and after collecting my luggage, entered the terminal. After checking my suitcase through and collecting a boarding pass, I went to a coffee shop I was familiar with, ordered, and then sat, alternately reading or watching people navigating the terminal. It always seemed to me that people in airports were in a certain category that would make them stand out in other places. I couldn't tell what the difference was, and perhaps it was only because I felt different here. There was something unfamiliar about the way people were dressed. Maybe it was just the travel clothing of wealthy people and or business people. I sat in the cafe while generations of customers came and went. The ceremonies and requirements of preparing to board the plane had chased away all the horrible thoughts about what I was doing and why, so I remained reasonably calm for a while. After sitting for about an hour my anxieties began to grow again, so I got myself up and walked up and down past the gate lounges. Finally I stopped at the gate lounge that I would board from. I sat here watching the aircraft through the tall windows. I needlessly checked and rechecked the boarding pass as I waited. I'd begun to experience the feeling that I must confirm that I wasn't just visiting the airport as I'd sometimes had, I'd sometimes spent hours sitting watching while the people prepared to fly, and I'd watch the aircraft and the work of the ground crews. Even, even seeing the boarding pass like this didn't stop the feeling of unreality from growing. i began begun to imagine that something would go wrong or perhaps that I would wake up from a dream. Five minutes before the boarding call was due, I got up, checked the pass again and went to stand ready at the head of the queue. Still, I was startled when the boarding announcement came over the audio. I was quickly surrounded by other passengers and I lost the place that I had at the start of the queue. When my turn came, I handed the boarding pass to the attendant with a sudden jolt of fear that it would be invalid, but all that happened was a quick welcome and then I was walking down the ramp to the aircraft. And as I walked all the concerns I'd had faded away like mist in the sunlight. When I reached the end of the ramp and approached the hatch I felt my face relax and the odd thing was that I hadn't noticed the tension until it was gone. I think I may have smiled at the steward who checked my boarding pass and directed me to my seat. I'd intended to read once I was seated but my kennel remained in the seat pocket in front of me and instead I sat staring out of the window. I watched the ground staff as they drove around in the peculiar vehicles that I believed only existed at airports. I saw the luggage being tossed onto the conveyor that carried it to the aircraft hold. A fuel truck tanker drove past and then around to the other side of the aircraft. A little later, I heard the hose coupling being attached. I could see two people doing an inspection on one of the engines of a plane sitting next to us. As I sat, I noticed that the emotions I was feeling My sense of myself had completely shifted. I felt that I was a different person than the one who'd travelled here in the taxi, or even the person I'd been been when sitting in the terminal. I felt quietly confident, even hopeful. I was aware that I'd barely started on my journey, and yet getting to this point, sitting here on the plane awaiting departure, felt like it represented a huge, life-changing event. The feeling of being here seemed like an accomplishment all out of proportion to the simple acts that had got me here. It seemed as if I had restarted my life, or in some sense this was the start of my life. For a few minutes I was hopeful that I might have the whole group of seats to myself, but then a man and a woman sat down next to me. From their conversation I took them to be work colleagues, perhaps they were lawyers or company executives, I couldn't tell. They took no notice of me. The woman had long blonde hair and a slight Irish accent. The other passengers kept on walking past until it seemed that the number of people could not possibly fit in here. But finally the hatch was closed and we were listening to the safety lecture, and soon after that the aircraft shook slightly and jolted into movement. We were pushed back out of the gate and then once the tractor disconnected the aircraft began to taxi under its own power. After 10 minutes or so we were parked at the end of the runway. The engines seemed to die and we were almost silent for a few seconds, but then they spun back up and we accelerated forward. Once we were airborne, I watched the western suburbs of Melbourne twist underneath us as we banked and turned. The plane then straightened out so that the city of Melbourne was visible in the distance. I watched the city, my city, until we ascended into the clouds. The moment when the aircraft finally leveled out, with the afternoon sunlight turning the clouds golden below me, seemed to mark another turning point, the true beginning of the trip now it was all out of my hands no choices needed to be made nor, nor was there any call for acts requiring bravery or effort i only needed to sit here and wait for around 20 something hours the thing was done for the first couple of hours i enjoyed the novelty of the aircraft i ate every scrap of the airline food when it arrived i read and i watched out the window i overheard fragments of conversation my mates had taken out laptops and appeared to be working. However, the trip stopped being fun as the hours piled up. After three hours, the people next to me had put their seats back and seemed to be sleeping. I tried to sleep, but only managed a fitful half-sleep. Mostly, I entered a kind of haze where the tiredness increased, but I could not sleep enough to recover. At times, I tried to drag myself up out of my malaise and take an interest in something, but with the descent of night, all I could see out of the windows was the flashing of one of the aircraft lights reflecting on the wing. The stewards had also seemingly gone to sleep, or perhaps they were resting their legs. The flight track shown on the screen on the seat in front of me crawled along. Sometimes it jumped forward so I knew I must have slept. I wished so much for a bed. I could understand how people ever wanted to travel overseas when it felt like this. I wondered about the couple next to me, who had to do this for work. I pitied myself because it seemed to me that I was the only one awake. All the others were having it easy. People with the overhead lights were probably able to read and weren't noticing the time passing. But then I must have slept again because gradually, as my brain started working again, I noticed that the flight track was indicating that ETA at Dubai was two more hours. Finally, I'd be able to be free of this seat. That relief was coloured soon after when I remembered that after Dubai there would still be about 7 or 8 hours to Nice and then on to Orly. I must have slept yet again because the next thing I was aware of was the voice of the first officer announcing that we were starting the descent into the UAE. I felt sick and disoriented. I was glad the people next to me remained asleep. I had no wish to be seen the way I was feeling. I felt like cheering when the fastened seatbelt sign came on. I recovered myself sufficiently to take some interest in the view. I hoped to see the lights of Dubai, but at first there was a, were only a few sparsely scattered dots of light, so few that I could not even tell how high we were. But then the plane banked right and I saw a distant haze of lights. Then we banked left and straightened out and I lost sight of the city. The aircraft quickly lost altitude and soon the lights were all around us. I had no idea what was below us, houses or factories or offices, but the thought struck me as it had many times before that it was strange when you were on the ground and heard or saw an aircraft fly overhead. You have no fears that it would fall. But when I looked down, I had the impression that the people in the buildings below were so unprotected, this massive multi-ton machine could drop on them and obliterate them so easily. It seemed ludicrous that people flying over people could be allowed. Then again I couldn't recall an incident where a large passenger jet had accidentally crashed onto a city. My fears proved baseless. We landed safely and no one was injured. After a frustrating wait to get off the aircraft, I finally set foot on the jetway. I walked quickly up the ramp and into the terminal. Then I drifted around for a while, walking randomly. I found myself disappointed by the airport. Apart from the Arabic signage, there wasn't anything obvious that distinguished the terminal from where I'd come from. It was the first time I'd set foot in another country, and it looked like home. After a while, my lack of proper sleep started to catch up to me, and I returned back to the gate lounges, hoping to find a place to sleep. I found a lounge where there were a few passengers. I picked a seat a little out of the way, set the alarm on my phone, lay back and closed my eyes. Sleep didn't come, however. It was difficult to trust that I'd hear the alarm, so I was unable to relax, and the seat wasn't much of a bed. After about an hour, I was ready to give up. I stood up and walked to the window. There was nothing there of any interest. Then I saw the reflection of someone walking into the lounge. I saw that it was a woman, and then as she got closer, I could see that it was the lawyer I'd been sitting next to on the plane. She didn't seem to notice and went to a seat almost as far away from me as she could get. I turned to leave but then I heard her start to sob. I stopped moving. I believed she hadn't seen me and I didn't think she'd want to talk to me. And I felt I wouldn't know what to say to her in any case, but I hesitated to leave her there alone. I didn't want to get involved but then I noticed in the window that she was looking at me. And before I thought about it I turned and walked over to her, she was still crying. I stood in front of her for a second, bewildered, and then sat down next to her, but I left a seat between us. She didn't look at me, and I felt like a fool. I'm sorry to bother you, but can I help with anything? Are you okay? Are you a good person? I was a little taken back by this response, but it was something that I could answer at least. I try not to do any harm, so if that makes me good, then yes. You don't have to talk to me, I'll be okay. I know that but you seem upset there's something wrong yeah my colleague got sick suddenly some stomach illness i think i just saw him get on a plane home and now i'm left to do the job we came here came over for and i have to do it on my own i don't want to face these people alone she had her head down but now she turned to me she looked almost desperate and my heart went out to her i'm sorry i shouldn't be telling you any of this I was lost to know what to say. I wanted to try to help, but it seemed impossible to me. It was difficult to look at her because of the pain in her eyes. I had to look away, but then I spoke the first thing that came to me. Is it a difficult meeting? Some lawyer thing? It's a court case in a French court. It all starts next week, and I will have to do all of the opening arguments until someone else can be sent over, and I'm not sure how long that will be. Oh, I see. That's hard. It terrifies me just thinking of it. You're not helping. I know. I've no idea what to say. Except perhaps it could be a good thing. When you handle things on your own, it'll look good to the people you work for, surely. What if I can't handle it? How can you be sure or know anything about it? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm being rude. No, I, I understand. I probably should be harsh also, I guess. The thing is, it seems to me there's no choice here. So you might as well fake the confidence if you don't have it, since you're going to have to face the court on your own. What other, what other option is there? Is that the best encouragement that you've got? Yes, it is. It's alright for you. You're just going over to Paris for a little holiday, surely. Well, actually, I'm going back to school, and the thought of that is terrifying. I think I have a fair idea of what you're going through. School is easy. It's a music school, and it's not easy. What? I'm going over to Paris to a music school. I want to learn to sing and play guitar and I have no idea if I can learn either and I'm kind of betting my whole life savings on it, so it's scary. Oh, okay, yeah. But can you encourage me some more instead of telling me the truth? I saw a start to smile and I was proud of myself even though I felt I had spoken almost at random. Well, you look the part, definitely, and you've got a good voice. It makes me feel confident just looking at you. I think you need to make sure that what you say is perfect, so practice, practice everything. Is there time? Yes, there are a few days before it starts, and it's possible, just barely, that someone else will arrive in time. But they won't be as good as you, and if you do as much as you can, it'll be good for you, so I think you should hope they don't arrive until after it's all over, successfully. She didn't reply, and I hoped that I'd said something helpful. She looked over at me. Why didn't you speak to us on the plane? I don't speak to strangers that much. This is one of the longest conversations I've had for a while. I'm married, by the way. Of course you are, and so am I. No, you're not. No, I never had that option. And you want to be a musician, but you hardly talk to people, and you're very shy. Now you're trying to make me feel better. It's not working, she laughed. Thank you for helping. I feel weak for breaking down, but thank you. Okay, well, if you want, I'll talk to you on the plane. Are you sure you'll be able to? Yeah, I think so. It seems surprisingly easy to talk to you. I wonder why that is. It's probably just me. It's my job, after all. At least, it's part of my job. I suppose that must be it. And then we sat there for, and talked for a while. I didn't understand how it could be so natural with her, but I tried not to think too much about it. There were periods of silence when I think we both slept. It was only afterwards that I realized how strange this all was. I must have slept again because when I woke she wasn't there. I waited until it was about half an hour before the next flight would board and then walked to the departure lounge. It was full of people of course, so many that it was difficult to know if she was among them. Some of the passengers were sleeping. I stood a little way back from the the gate and not wanting to sit again, I felt a little hurt that she was gone, but I imagined she had needed to do something. Then I felt a tap on my shoulder and I turned. Hello? Hello? Where did you go? I thought you'd have deserted me. Yes, I did. I, I had a phone call to make and I didn't want to disturb your sleep. Okay, I, I guess that's reasonable. I'll sit with you if you like, on the plane. I just looked at, looked at her and she laughed again. You seem happier. I think it's fatalistic despair, but she was just smiling as she said this. Just then the boarding call came and we headed back onto the plane. The rest of the trip went almost too quickly. I could speak to her without really thinking about what I should or should not say, and I felt safe somehow knowing she was there, which didn't make any sense but it meant that I was asleep when the pilot called out that we were soon going to be making our ascent into Orly. We walked off the plane side by side, but I knew these were the last few minutes I'd spend with her. She stopped when we got to the top of the ramp and into the lounge area. Well, that's it then. How do you feel? I'm okay. Thanks to you. Are you sure? But anyway, that's good. Don't look so sad. Why not? I feel sad. Oh, come on, you've spent hours with me. Do you know what my rate normally is? Okay, that's not really funny, but I I know I should let you go. It's been nice to meet you. Look, I'm smiling. Oh yes you are, and good luck with your music. Don't give up. And you, good luck in court. Okay, I think we have to do this quickly. And she put her arms around me and hugged me, but then before I could really respond, she kissed my cheek and was walking quickly away. I stood there wanting to go after her, but knowing that was the wrong thing and knowing it was probably my best day for a long while, maybe forever, so I knew I should feel amazing, but I felt sad and lonely. But then I pulled myself together and went to find the luggage carousels.